since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward. An infinite and endless liar. An hourly promise breaker. The owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. And I'm Aiden. And we are the Bix. Indeed we are. And this episode is all about Coriolanus. Coriolanus, the butt play. I, I read, so because... Okay, you'll need a bit of context, yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently in the in the ancient sources, the A in Coriolanus would have been pronounced Anus, Coriolanus. And yet, you know, the English and, and we, we go Coriolanus. And so it's, it's like... the butt the, play. The butt play. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. I, this is what I bring to the podcast. I, uh, <laughs> it's very little. Um, uh, no, it's, it, again, a play neither one of us had read before yep. we uh, did this podcast. And um, uh, a later tragedy of Shakespeare's. In fact, yeah, I don't think you get yeah. any other tragedies after this one. Yeah, and it's it's also his last history play. Well, unless you count Henry, Henry VIII. Oh yeah, well, but he didn't oh, true. write that. Well, not but, on his own. Anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely a it's it's based on historical accounts, which Aiden, you have way more information about this than I do. Um, uh, very little, but I do have some, yes. Uh, should we jump into that first, or should we do the play synopsis first? Oh, yes, because it's your turn. We should most certainly yeah. do the play synopsis first. Okay. Uh, I will get a timer for 30 seconds, but Lindsay, uh, are you prepared? Uh, as prepared as I ever am, which is to say, not at all. That's great. Okay, so I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> you let me know when. Okay. And go. So we have a Roman general who is uh, advancing politically to become the consul of Rome. And he has such disdain for the people and they don't like him either. So they refuse him the title consul and he ends up teaming up with his enemy, uh, his arch enemy in the Volscian army um, to take back Rome. And then his mother, weird shit happens. And he ends up dying at the end as in most tragedies. And uh, Rome ends up not um, falling under his sway. I, I think I did not too bad. That's just, really good. Just for like, you know, sticking yeah. to the to the major to beats, the major of, it. beats yeah, of the play. Yeah, you covered it all there. Yeah. I'd still be on, so in the first scene, he's going to his mom. And, yeah. Well, it's yeah. not that, but yeah. And uh, his name's Coriol Anus. <laughs> Maybe, right? I would have focused a lot on the anus part, yeah. for sure. Um, so thank you for that, Lizzie. That was a good summary. Mm-hmm. It's That is most of the play. Um, he is... Yeah, he's a weird dude who hates people. People hate yeah, him. He's not he's not he's not a people hater in the way that Time of Athens was. He's not that kind of uh person hater. Yeah. He just hates common people. He hates, he hates, the, hates the, the plebs. Yeah. Literally the plebs. <laughs> the in this plebs case. are yeah. the ones he hates. And and there's reasons for that that I think the play illustrates fairly well from his perspective mm-hmm. in a way that the film version that we watched from 2011, I think, yep. with Ray Fiennes, Ray Fiennes doesn't quite get. He just seems like this arrogant jackass, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's this war hero who has um, gotten everything because of his prowess on the battlefield. Yeah. And the people, the common people who suddenly hold all this power in a Roman Republic, I guess that he doesn't maybe doesn't believe in. Yeah. Um, he doesn't think that they should have control over his life or yeah. control over his political destiny, yeah. that it should just be his feats of strength. And yeah. That, and his own class of people. I mean, right. Yeah. It, aristocratic. Yeah. yeah. It, it is a, vi- a play very, very concerned about class. class. And yeah. it's, it's odd because we've touched on it a couple of times throughout, uh, Shakespeare, the mm-hmm. the early Elizabethan Jacobean class dynamics emerging of yeah. an urban poor and an urban elite and their crisscrossing and the issues that come up with peasants right. revolts and stuff like right. that. But uh, this play is by far the most English classist 
play, uh, you know, yeah. uh, of that I that I can recall, uh, and it's you not mean, said in uh, Henry the Sixth Part Two with the, sure. the mob is absolutely English classes. Absolutely, but this one feels more um, because it's wrapped in the Roman toga. I guess yeah. <laughs> it's it feels very. Uh, it feels like it can approach things from a different angle than sure. when you're talking about England itself. Well, and this is this in is an English audience. the thing that I I don't know enough about the politics of that era. Uh, like the era that it's um, set in. That it's set in. Is this your prompt for me? No, no, sorry, not the era that it's set in. That's we, I don't know enough about that either. But I don't know enough about the era that Shakespeare wrote the play in mm-hmm. either. Politically speaking, to to say like what was going on. We're still early James the first and sixth period. Yep. Um, it's not. You know, we're not quite at the at the point in time where there's peasants and the the nobles yeah. rebelling against a king. Yeah, there's um, no head chopping going on. No, and and you know we're we're yeah okay, a couple hundred years after Runnymede. So I mean, but it's not like I don't think there was a huge push from the people to have more say in politics. Well, was there? I, I was quickly scrolling through some of the background stuff on uh, it was it was in the. Uh, Oh yeah, it was in the uh, Folger essay oh, yeah, as well. Okay, yep. But in the uh, on the even just on the Wikipedia entry, there there was a uh, revolt in the Midlands uh, around Stratford upon Avon. Oh, uh, people looking for writing some sort of wrong. I don't remember exactly what it was. There's also a big discussion in London at the time about the city charter, which was you know okay. a, a, you know a way for people to have some sort of control over the political happenings in the city. So I think there there are probably some undercurrents there, but I yeah. think uh, it's yeah it's 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 hard to always of course to tie it directly to what's going on right. in the play. I mean, and you don't know for sure when this was written. Uh, there's not a lot of performance history. Uh, there apparently nothing before the restoration. Okay, no there recorded you go. performance there you go. history. But it was yeah. There's like a ten year period in which it could have been written. Could have been written. Yeah. From like sixteen, well, sixteen oh five to sixteen ten, but probably sixteen oh eight or sixteen oh nine. Yeah, yeah, that makes um, sense. Yeah, and and so and it was only published in the folio, so there's mm-hmm. no publishing before that either. Um, so yeah, it, it's hard to draw those parallels directly, but. You can. It does kind of feel like he was had his finger on a pulse of something and being like, mm, "Let's talk about this guy." Yeah, you know, it's yeah. it does. It seems like it's a play that gets revived during times of political, political strife. turmoil yes. and strife. Yeah, yeah, it's strife. Yeah, <laughs> thank it's you. A, an early internet throwback. Early, yeah, thank for, you just for, that. for you, Aiden. I really do appreciate it. Um, um so let let yeah. me give you a bit of background on the actual Coriolanus, the dude. The historical figure. Martius Caius Coriolanus. The anus, the original uh, butt boy. Uh, He was uh, very much like the play, uh, you know, a Roman general and soldier. Uh, His back and forth with the Volsci happened much earlier, though. They think he was probably around like 24, 25 when he bailed on them. It's not like he'd been around forever. And uh, I don't think the consulship was in play. But the the history on this guy, it's very early in the Roman Republic. So... Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and if you don't know much about the Roman Republic and how I don't, it was structured so politically, tell me more about it. Well, thank you, Lindsay. This is like a <laughs> terrible first date between a man and a woman right now. Let me tell you about the Roman Republic, Lindsay. Uh, but it's uh, you know there there were the plebs and the and the patricians, and the patricians had most, if not all, of the power early on, uh, and the uh, praetors. I don't remember what their their official title is, but the the. The guys who's lo- who's voicing the opinion of the plebs throughout the play. Yeah. There's the two uh, praetors. I think praetors. They are praetors yeah. yeah. Um, they were uh, they were kind of a recent addition, and they'd uh, like they they were there to help uh, speak for the plebs. And are they kind of like like in a representative democracy? They'd be like your MLA or your kind of, but they they but didn't, they're not elected or anything. No, they were chosen by the okay. by the citizens, absolutely. But uh, they they didn't have the same standing as a senator. Like they didn't decide legislation okay. or anything like that, and they they couldn't choose the consul. Right. But they did they did organize the plebs to you know give their blessing on the consul and stuff right. like that, which okay. is part of the role. Okay. So. Um, so that those dynamics were there, and right before this time, uh, right before Coriolanus' time, Coriolanus's time, uh, the plebs had also recently gained uh, slightly more power. Uh, I think it was something to do with uh, like the the bread that they mentioned at the start of the play. Yeah. Like they're they're searching for grain uh, that apparently had a bit of historical context too, where uh, they they had some famine relief brought on by from the patricians and stuff. Okay. So th- there is there is this context of these two very strict classes 
uh, almost entirely based on blood. Uh, and you had them, they, they, they constantly had conflict throughout this until the end of, until the institution of the empire. You're telling me that the rich and the poor were always in conflict. (laughs) It's crazy to think, (laughs) but, uh, and generally over the centuries, uh, the plebs just gained more and more power at the cost of the patricians. Uh, but the patricians were getting insanely wealthy and the senator class in particular, just like thrived and became like super super well like way even more than our current day like 0.01 uh, no it was like 0.00001 wow, percent of okay. it, it, it was crazy the <clears throat> amount of wealth the, gotcha. the very richest uh, could acquire but uh not that was all after this point this point was still early on and they were still figuring this out and so mm-hmm. these dynamics were fresh and new um you know coriolanus in the play at least is described as having helped fight against uh the last king i forget his name of course uh the 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 tarquins tarquins yes yeah so uh he was actually there helping depose the tarquins or or shortly after um i think this is i think the real history uh, was it was maybe fifty years after, so he wouldn't have been alive for it. But, anyways, it's it's new, it's fresh. Nobody really knows how this republic's going to mm-hmm. work, and the nobility are used to their advantages. Right. And Coriolanus is, is a, it's a it's a prime example of yes, the nobility, absolutely. Um, and what's interesting is uh, in the play, his mother plays a really important part in that, mm-hmm. um, in in raising him to be the man that the myth, the legend, who, you know dies at the hand of <laughs> his his best Ophidius. friend slash enemy yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah so that's uh um the other thing we should mention maybe is that the the name coriolanus is a uh, uh is it a toponym a topon toponymic cognomen <laughs> Wow. A toponymic cognomen, which is, uh, he got it because of, he, of his... Yes, um, his deeds at a place. Yes, yeah, his yeah, yeah. his feet in sacking the city of Corioli, the yeah. Volscian city of Corioli. Yeah. So they give him the name Coriolanus, um, which I think is just darn neat. When you do something <laughs> cool, they give you a new name. That's just neat. <laughs> no? Sure. I mean, I... I'd rather not live in the Roman times, but that's okay. No, I, mean, I, I like, think living in our current times, which are, you know, not don't great, feature but new then names. you get yeah. new name, you know, whenever you, do something you survive really something cool or, that's fair. you know. That's fair. I just... You like that. I think It's neat. a little, yeah. <laughs> Insert image of Marge holding yes. up the whatever it is. I don't even remember. They were potatoes, I think. They were potatoes? They? Yeah. It was a fruit or a vegetable yeah, of some sort. Yeah, some sort of food item. Anyway, uh, yeah, so production history, we talked a little bit about that, that there's this period of time, about five years, when, in which Shakespeare is supposed to have written this play, but it probably was around 1608, 1609. Um, some of the references that, um, that are referenced in the play are uh, from stories that were published in 1605, 1606, something like that. Um, so... And, uh, yeah, like we said, there was not really any um, production history at all, like no records of it being performed in the Stationer's Register or Mm -hmm. anything like that prior to the Restoration. I think the earliest time was 1682. Wow. I think is the first recorded That's pretty soon after the Restoration, too. Yeah, it put on it at uh, Drury Lane, I believe. Hmm. Um, Yeah. Cool. And... uh, but there are the fact that the surviving, um, a surviving text of the play possibly was divided into three acts, not five, mm. suggests that it may have been written for the Blackfriars Theater, not the Globe, not mm. one of those outdoor in the round theaters, but the Blackfriars Theater, which is a different, um, uh, different style of play, m- much more. I think the Blackfriars play or Blackfriars Theater was. Um, kind of a proto if i'm remembering this correctly prototypical like restoration style theater uh, okay. um that that became much more popular later on in the, in the 17th century but was kind of introduced as a an alternative venue um for the king's men when they were um in their yeah the later years of shakespeare's work okay i could be wrong fair enough and just we'll throw it in now because uh we might as well before we get into the thematic discussions here because mm-hmm. there are a lot of themes to talk about but um, the Ray Fiennes 2011 yes. version uh, was pretty enjoyable I enjoyed Aliens I don't know how you felt yeah it was better than I thought it would be <laughs> yeah yeah, and it was it did a pretty decent job shifting it from uh, 
Roman times to uh, they went for like an Eastern European yeah, Balkan, Balkan almost, Yugoslavia Soviet yeah. Union yeah kind of feel so, 90s UN peacekeepers yeah yeah kind of role yeah. but it was um, like the the look and the the everything kind of worked I did find uh, when I was reading it that there was they did obviously remove a lot of the text that's just right. a given right um, but uh, the stuff they removed did help actually establish, especially Coriolanus's character himself a little yeah. bit. Um, I found he was much more consistent and understandable in the text because you let him rally against the the plebs for like the difference between doing it for 30 seconds or a minute on screen is different from him doing it for four pages yeah. on, on the text. Like you really get the sense of how much he hates these people and how much and how he really views them. Whereas in the, the movie, it felt a little rushed. Well, and I mean, he's not really the kind of um, tragic hero. And I use that term yeah. in the, the, the dramatic sense. quotes possible, yeah. Uh, in the sense that Lear is or Hamlet is where they get to kind of you know, speak their mind a little bit more. He's he is speaking his mind, but he's not revealing his inner thoughts. He's just kind of we don't get that that yeah. inner world for him. He's no. he's kind of a I don't want to say he's bland because he's not that, but he's not he's kind of static in a way. Yeah. Like we don't really get the sense that even when he is conflicted and when we see him lying through his teeth in order to get the brief fleeting support from the Pleiadians that he gets, mm-hmm. um, you don't get any sense that he's uh, about how he's calculating his moves, or there's no, no real like Machiavellian no. political sense to him. Well, and that and that's part of what his character is, and that's that it explains why he's so bad at it because he doesn't have yes. a bone like that in his body. He's not a Machiavelli no, type at all. He's a, he's a straight hero. up warrior. Yeah. yeah, and that and I think the play is is trying to get us to question whether or not people like that should be elevated yeah. to yeah the status. It, of, it, is of it better leaders. to be honest, but? terrible or is it better to be a liar but perceived or, as good right or and even just more basically should generals and war heroes <laughs> be given political, political leadership like yeah. is that something that we should be is that something we want from our leaders mm-hmm. because someone who's very good on the battlefield a very good tactician doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a brilliant well, Lindsay, political strategist everybody knows that government should be run like a business and that if <laughs> as soon as you're good at making billions as a ceo you should obviously be given all the political power in the world we've been through way too many elections in the last couple of years it's obvious from yeah. from what you just said <laughs> i'm picturing My so many different yeah. political s- no, slogans yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Countrymen. Hand me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. So jumping into the themes, uh, there is a big one, obviously. Uh, power, and we've just touched on it. Yeah. You know, there is there is a big question about um, how does power function in play? Who has it? Who gives it? Who takes it? Mm-hmm. Who wants it? And who deserves it? I think yeah. they're all very valid questions in this play. Um, and... I think it goes a, tie, a lot of it ties back to that that history that first date history lesson I gave earlier on about yeah. like nobody's really sure how this is all supposed to work yet right. still it still feels fresh in in these early Republican days so people are willing to fight and die and and struggle for it a lot more than we might expect perhaps because like honestly like uh, Coriolanus's deeds are indeed for the betterment of Rome. There's mm-hmm. there's very little doubt of that. Nobody really doubts that across the entirety of the play. Right. Um, but is that enough? And nobody really has a question. Nobody really has the answer to that because mm-hmm. the plebs think, well, he doesn't like us. So should we just trust him with the right. power or should we fight back and take it? And eventually they do head down that road. But And the fact that, they, that they've just come out of a period of, of tyrannical, despotic rule by the Tarquin dynasty, dynasty yeah. I guess... Weren't the Tarquins in the Rape of Lucrece? Isn't that? Yeah, also, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was yeah. Like not great dudes, no, right? So, no. so you've got the fall of this this you know dynasty, mm-hmm. and the rise of what you know might be considered an early form of quasi democracy, but nobody knows how to deal with that. It's it's that question of when you have a power vacuum or when you have a shift in power structures how do you lead and it's or how do you even rule anything mm-hmm. make decisions or or govern yourself and so it's um it's a question that i think a lot of uh, a lot of people face 
in history, yeah, right? You've cross got history, yeah. uh, the American Revolution. They well, the know French Revolution, the French Revolution, <laughs> where they, they went through like five different things, and right? then Napoleon came about. Well, yeah. and and that's exactly yeah. it because you know what you don't want, so yeah. you try to avoid that as much as possible. So they don't want the Romans don't want another Tarquin, yeah. and they maybe they see that in in Coriolanus, yeah. yeah. but they don't know what would be better. Just like in the American Revolution, they don't want a king. But they're willing to give Washington, you know, quite a bit of power, quite a bit of power, you know, or or the French Revolution, like you said, 30 years later, you end up with Napoleon. It's it's you're right back in that same position again, Mm -hmm. because you don't have a clear idea of what it is that you want. You just know what you don't want. And that's not really the best way to send (laughs) forward into a new style of government. Um, So it doesn't really. I mean, not that the people of Rome really end up on the. They're not really harmed in this. They don't really lose much because the, the in the end, the Volscian uh, uh, attack led by Coriolanus doesn't actually happen. Yeah. So, like, they're not any worse off for doing this. Maybe they didn't learn any lessons from it at all. Um, <laughs> well, that, I mean, I think the play kind of asks, like, is there a lesson, a political lesson to be learned from right. this play? Because it, the, the, the thing that I found really enjoyable while I was reading the play was I could follow everyone's motivations. Yeah, yeah. Like, Coriolanus just wants power because yeah. he thinks he's, he, he's a very good dude and his class of people were made to rule, so Look he at should all do it. the scars I yeah. have. Well, he doesn't want to show well, he them, but, show every, them, but yeah. he's got a lot of scars. He's got a lot of scars. As and we're told. Exactly. Every page. <laughs> and so he feels like he should rule. And the people are turned on him very easily because he you know doesn't like them and he doesn't yeah. care for them and he wanted them to starve he would have rather they starve than uh get the food that yeah. was promised to him so their revolt against him seems very fair totally. and then even his wanting revenge on that makes yeah. perfect sense his mother stepping in at the yeah. end to say no i raised you to be a roman and yes. like your your job is to be a roman uh protectorate uh so you can't do this like that that also really made yeah. sense uh the only thing that did make sense in that whole sequence is the Volsky, you know, agreeing to like, okay, we, we won't invade anymore because your yeah. mom, oh, she gave such a good speech. I, I, I was moved, and then they kill him. We're gonna kill you, but we're not gonna invade. I guess, I guess the that that the lesson maybe has something to do with because Coriolanus is really the only one who has to answer for anything yeah, in the play. Yeah, he answers with his true. life, so yeah. so he is the one that is being. Um, held up here as an example, I guess, for the rest of us. This is maybe yeah. not what you want to do. Yeah. Um, but it it does seem like he doesn't even know what kind of power he wants to have because you can't rule a nation or a state or anything if without the people. It's just land. It's not anything. Yeah. But he doesn't really have any respect for the people, and yeah. they're what make Rome Rome. Yeah. And that's his fundamental misunderstanding, I think, yeah. is that he just doesn't he doesn't see the point, maybe, yeah. in in you know acquiescing to any of the plebeian demands. Yeah, um, like he literally does not even consider them no, human. Almost, they're, right. they're just basically chattel. They're, like they're he has to be goaded into like asking for their blessing. Yeah, like it's it's this whole rigmarole. He just thinks that he's so above it. Yeah. Um, which is partly because of his, what he's maybe quote unquote earned through his feats, but also because of his birth. He yeah. is a patrician And his mom, and I think. His mom did yes, quite a number, a number on, him. on him. Yes, I would say so. Um, which we will talk about in our, our next segment. And maybe it's a good segment. <laughs> sure, yeah, let's go into family. Um, because the, the structure of the, the play and the structure of the Roman political arena and the structure of Coriolanus's family are all very similar. Even the fact that the ruling class are called patricians, <laughs> right? There's a paternalistic yeah, yeah. root word in there that yeah. you can't really get away from. So, very I mean, true. the idea that that the people in charge are like mommy and daddy mm-hmm. <laughs> and that the, peop- the children down below need to be ruled... But here in this Roman Republic, they're being given a tremendous amount of power in mm. order to choose their, their, their daddy. Their daddy. <laughs> Let's not use that. <laughs> to choose their parents, yeah, I guess, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and what's what's ultimately really ironic, I guess, about it is that in the end, Coriolanus is very much ruled by his own patrician mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's he a good point, is yeah. 
the child, even as an adult, even as the leader of a powerful Volskian army. Well, and that's, I mean, that's when what happens when you, <laughs> when you uh, equate political with family dynamics is that families are not that simple. No. And that, especially when you have multiple generations, you know, where does, where does the power ultimately lie? It's mm-hmm. not necessarily in the most masculine figure it's in the most senior figure and queen elizabeth the, ii exactly i mean well, <laughs> yeah especially in that one but i mean yeah it's it's when you get into that it it starts to dissemble between uh big strong man equals good ruler and unruly unruly peasants must be smacked with the ruler to maintain good order like mm-hmm. that that falls apart when he also needs to be slapped with the yeah. ruler to to do his his duty um yeah and it just it, it doesn't it doesn't automatically fall into that neat categorization of father uh child dynamic that that I think the Roman Republic was designed to do. It was it was set up to have these smart, educated, rich people uh, who are who have the time and and uh, wherewithal to focus on right. things like the law and philosophy and all these other things uh, can rule over the the ones who are busy, you know, surviving and making the tools and the the buildings and everything that that everyone else needs. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's a very dysfunctional family when you start pulling apart at that and giving the kids the the right to say yes or no to mom and giving yeah. uh, the dad also needs approval from his own mom. Well, yeah, it's it's almost like the you it doesn't okay, so in any other <laughs> in any other dynastic um, power structure, the eldest, the most senior member of the family dies before the next member gets to take over, mm-hmm. right? You don't usually have the younger, like the the eldest son, ruling when the father is still alive on yeah. the throne, right? King Lear, it happens in, and it falls apart. Henry the Second is yeah. a great example, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so in this case, it's it's so interesting to me that uh, his mother, whose name is Volumnia, and she is definitely uh, a Loud. high volume <laughs> um, woman. Yes. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get to gender, but. Um, She's still there, and she still wields a tremendous amount of power. If not in the the Roman Republican sense, mm-hmm. she rules her son. Yeah, and that is where he can't even, like you said, that that dynamic between him and his subjects, ostensibly, um, falls apart because he is still being ruled. Yeah, his mother needs to not be in the picture, and then he'd be his own man, and he wouldn't be torn between yeah, those I, two things. Well, I don't think he'd even seek the consulship. Probably if, not if his mother wasn't there, or if around, his mother yeah. wasn't the wasn't the. Axe she grinder. ruled him to be this way. Yes, but would he still seek it out with such yeah. fervor? I don't know. It does seem like there's like a lot of this is. Um, put on him by his mother it certainly is instilled in him but the fact that she's still alive and still uh holds enough sway over him to get him to like change his mind he's gone through a lot to get the volskians on his side and bring them to rome and turned his back on everything that he Mm -hmm. his wife his child i mean he's been banished but yeah i mean all of that like he just throws it away because of one impassioned speech by his mother. I mean, this is a guy who's whipped, you know, and, and, and I mean, the play doesn't really play into this, but I mean, the film version definitely has some weird incestual, there's lots of things like that 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 is read into it where it's almost like Volumnia is the co-regent, co-ruler wife figure. Yeah, because, yeah. like, well, let's talk about Virgilia. Virginia? Yeah. Virgilia? Virgilia. Virgilia. Yeah. That's a weird word to say. Yeah. Uh, Coriolanus's wife and mother to his his son, which mm-hmm. the son is another interesting figure yeah. uh, in this whole mess up. But, yeah, Virgilia, <laughs> Virgilia herself is a, a weird figure because she doesn't have any power whatsoever. None. She is... She's literally like the the bottom rung of this political spectrum, and yet then you have you ever contrasted with Flumia, yes. and I think that's really the only point to having her there. She might as well not exist, and he just has a son there. But it's to to draw this contrast that uh, the next generation mm-hmm. will also be controlled by the mother. Like that, her only relation is to the son, and then to be contrasted against the mother. Yeah, and so 
she's she's just going to continue this tradition of screwing up her son right uh to do what her her husband couldn't do really which has become consul and, and become the greatest thing that rome has ever seen right? did i guess that's the, the sense i got at least the I question that i i have then because i saw volumnia and virgilia as because they're so different that young martius and his father are going to be very different because they're ruled by mm, different yeah. types of women. I guess, but the 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 few we don't get almost anything about the son. Yeah. What's his name again? Young Martius. It's I Young Martius. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, I think it, literally they describe him mm-hmm. as wanting to be a little soldier. So I took that to be like yeah. he's just following. He's going to be just like his daddy. Yeah. And. Uh, and so I assumed that this was just like a, a, another of Shakespeare's like, oh, history's going to repeat itself. Well, yeah, but I mean, she's not, she's, Virgilia is not the powerful, uh, domineering but was, figure. But was Volumnia in her younger I, days? I, I, like, I, I don't know. The, I get the sense that she is, or that she was, and that she's the reason that, like, Shakespeare doesn't do anything subtly. Naming her Volumnia and yeah. giving her the power of voice. Yeah. I guess that's true. a strength of character. Whereas, She's a very yeah, masculine woman. Very. We're getting into our gender conversation here. Do you want to <laughs> just lean into it? Yeah, or? sure. Why not? Because I mean, it's it's it is really the the idea that these two women are so contrasted. Um, I think is meant to. We're supposed to pay attention to that. We're supposed to see that as mm-hmm. as a contrast, not as a similarity. I don't true, know that young true. Martius is going to end up as bloodthirsty and cold hearted as. Caius Martius yeah, Aurelianus was, yeah. but I don't know. That's interesting that you read it that way. It's just not how I. How no, no, I and, no. And I, I think you're right, and especially in the in the film version, it was it was pretty clear that these are two very different women. Like mm-hmm. uh, Volumnia or Virgilia doesn't even want to go out when yeah. you know, like she's like, oh no, I can't possibly go outside. Well, and, and she's praised. At, What's the line? He calls her sweet silence or something like that. Yeah, she's, yeah, yeah. She's, she's, yeah she's literally she is, called she's silence. She's silent yeah. and yeah. obedient yeah. to the nth degree. Yeah. She's the perfect Elizabethan or, or Jacobean version of a woman. Yeah. Um, yeah, but she does she does fall under Volumnia's sway, I guess, in a sense. Once, once Coriolanus is banished from Rome yeah. and the family falls into... I was going to say disrepair. That's disrepute. not the word. Disrepute. I think that might be. More They're not what a you're house that's falling apart. <laughs> they don't eat Bob Vila. <laughs> he wouldn't hurt. Um, but yeah, yeah, uh, she does fall under Volumnia's sway a little bit. But I, I just, yeah, I don't see her having the power. Maybe if Grandma sticks well, around long enough, then well, young Martius will grow up. She'll get a second shot at crafting the next great console well i mean there there are only the two female characters yeah. in the whole play yeah and so yes there are contrasts but i also i i can't help but sh- but feel like this the fact that they are both women mm-hmm. um and that they're both tied to the men obviously yeah. that's not uncommon but like uh they both wind up having to raise men mm-hmm. and so that yeah. inherently takes a manliness because yeah. Uh, the only men who are good men in this play are the warriors. Yes. Uh, violence is the ultimate masculine trait in yes. this in this play. And uh, if you're going to be a successful man, you've got you've got it. You got to be a killer. Yeah. And so I think the fact that Volumnia and Virgilia are not warriors is all it takes to be a man. There's all it takes to be uh, a, a woman. woman. Yeah. So I th- and I feel like that also applies to a lot of like the senators and the the praetors and stuff who just talk all day. Yeah. They aren't really men either. Well, yeah, and they and even though they not, are men, like, they're men in in gender and sex, but yeah. they're not or in sex, but not in gender. I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's, like Menenius, um, yeah. his uh, constant yeah. scheming and stuff is, yeah. is very feminine and and. And and dies. He's yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah, like he doesn't yeah. even make it to the end of the play. He <laughs> takes his own life. Like yeah, he's yeah. not someone that, you know, you look up to as a not because of that, yeah. but because he's just he's framed by the play as being he's a schemer. He's a he's a backroom dealer, which is kind of the role that when women are present as powerful women, you think of someone like Lady Macbeth or something yeah. like that. They are backroom schemers. They don't mm. ever grab a sword and head out into the battlefield. No. Even Joan of Arc in... Uh, yeah, they didn't let her. No, right? <laughs> so it's not like... 
it's not like women are ever given that chance. But you're right. They're they're both put in that position of having to raise men. And the only worthwhile men in a Roman society are battle-hardened. Yeah, dudes with scars. So yeah. you've got to wonder how... Well, Volumnia mm-hmm. was sort of successful at it. Oh, very successful. Her son was going to be consul. He just yeah. screwed it up by being too arrogant to accept it. By being too it. Yeah, <laughs> no, maybe. Not scheming enough, you maybe. know? Like, yeah. So what will young Martius, what, what is the, the legacy here for the, the, the Coriolanus family? I don't know. What Does he get the... Name? Is that like a permanent last the name? The toponymic cognomen? Does that pass on? I just love that word, that yeah, phrase. I'm going to use Clearly, that. yeah. We few... We happy few, we band of brothers. So sliding on to our next uh, theme, uh, war, war, warfare and respect and uh, the way those are tied together in Roman society and throughout the rest of the play. Mm. Um, and it really does get back to that key question that you raised, Lindsay, like, did, does being good at war mean you should be a good politician? Like, right. do, do you should you actually get political respect for your war deeds. Right. Um, and this is something that we still do. I mean, we still, I mean, not, it's been a while, but, you know, it was a huge deal that George W. had not gone and fought in Well, even in Trump. Vietnam. You know, yeah, yeah, his bone spurs. Bone spurs yeah, there. like, I mean, it, it, it was a big deal for a long mm-hmm. time. I think Trump has put that to bed now. I think American democracy is falling apart. But anyways, I, I think <laughs> it was a huge deal. Like, if you were not in, in the arm, armed forces, well, you yeah, didn't have... And, and, a bone to stand I, I don't think, you know, to get modern about it, um, the comparisons between modern America and ancient Rome, the Roman you know, Republic, are not... Uh, there's good reason for those comparisons <laughs> yeah. to be made. And I think you're right that, you know, whether it happens in our lifetime or not, the end of the American <laughs> Republic is, is on the horizon. And there are a lot of similarities between the way that America deals with their political leaders. So this is a very timely um, question, yeah. question to yeah. be asking. The the last really big superpower, discounting China, which is a new superpower, <laughs> I guess, um, why is that? Why is it that so much stock is put into a leader's wartime deeds mm-hmm. or military service? Why does that matter so much? Why do we want our leaders... Or why do Americans want? Because it's very, I don't see that. Canada certainly doesn't. I, I, I don't think I, I can remember a single well, I don't think we've ever had Canadian a prime minister, prime minister who, was... who served in the military. Yeah, can think you so. think of a British prime minister who served in the military? Like, I, I really don't think that this is a thing outside of yeah. Yeah. This, the military industrial complex <laughs> that exists, the, uh, that, that holds yeah. up the American Republic. And so yeah. it's so fascinating to me that they still associate military prowess with that kind of leadership. Well, I think, but I, I think go back to my earlier joke, uh, it's not, it doesn't necessarily just have to be war. It can be the war of, of business. You know, it can be the war of yeah. economics these days. Like we look to people who are good leaders, maybe even, I think that's questionable in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. but good leaders theoretically in one type of thing. I yeah, was whether a great, it's military or economic, yeah, or, or something. something like that. They 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 showed that they could do a good job in this field. Therefore, they sh- they can do a good job in every field. And we know that's absolutely not yeah. true. I think everybody throughout history has known. Oh yeah, that guy was really good at that, but he is he should not be a politician. And I mean, it's it's why a lot of people uh, slag on career politicians, but. To an extent, if you're a career politician, you're probably going to be pretty good at being a politician. Like if that's that's been your focus and that's what you oh, want to do. Oh, Jason Kenney is on line two. Would you like to take I'm, that I career just... politician who sucks at his job? Well, there's. Okay, I'm yeah. just. I'm there just, are I many know. who aren't. There are many who aren't. But uh, uh, Jason but... Kenney, for those listeners who are not in the immediate <laughs> area, is premier of Alberta and has a like 20 percent approval rating, and he's you know he just shit the, the bed worst. on many, totally many, shit the bed many, on everything, many things in the last two years. So. But, yeah. Carry on. No, but I, I it is it is it's the same underlying problem, right? Yeah. And for Rome, nothing was more important than warfare because it was a very violent era. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that they would focus on that. Yeah, now it's true. it's the economy is above everything else. So if you can manage the economy well, you should be a, a good leader. 
and these things are just not really connected to the yeah. promise of leading a country with all of its facets. It's yes, warfare, it's, not, it's economy, yes, exactly. it's people, it's social issues, it's uh, you art know, and culture. Yeah, it's, it's tourism. All, yeah. It's everything. <laughs> all Maybe these not little. Grown, but. Well, yeah, they probably had an early tourism industry. Look, we got wa- running water, guys. Come see it. It's, it's big amazing. signs on the early Silk Road, <laughs> just like visit Rome. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Some guy carving big blocks of limestone. This is doing it in 12 different languages so people can understand. But yeah, no, I mean, like, this is this is the problem. So, like, and the play is very, uh, I think the play is crystal clear that, like, no, Coriolanus yeah, yeah, should yeah. not be no, the leader. Like, no. he, he's not, he does not want to have anything to do with the people yeah. who he would rule. And uh, But it's the fact that he thinks he does deserve that that yes. I think is so endlessly fascinating yes. because he has zero self-awareness zero ability to reflect on his own strengths like you are good at this one thing keep doing that one thing you're great you're doing great honey (laughs) go slaughter some more volskins and leave the ruling to a guy like menenius who is able to yeah talk out of one side of his face and not the other whatever the line is (laughs) what is it talk out of both sides of his face both ends of his of his uh, orifice, I think is what the it is. butt play comes back. <laughs> That's why. That's right. Anyway, yeah. you know what I mean, yeah. right? Like yeah. he's he's the guy, the the schemer who's going to be able to keep everybody happy, and and that's what makes, for better or for worse, a good politician. Somebody mm-hmm. who can, you know, talk the talk. Whether well, they walk the walk yeah. is not well, they, but they can balance the needs of yeah. competing people, and right. they can find something that works for everybody, or at least good enough to keep everyone from. Killing each other, and even if those uh, those people who rise through the ranks, the political ranks, to become political leaders, even if they aren't able to actually, in reality, balance all of those needs, I mean, this is this is why we joke about how no matter wh- which side you campaign from in a modern political context, you govern from the middle, mm-hmm. you govern from the center, because it's the easiest way to keep the most amount of people happy, or to at least not tip your country into extremes i Mm. guess um and then you get into you know issues with the overton window and how everything's kind of skewed far to the right but (laughs) you know now that's too modern maybe but guys like menenius or um obama are (laughs) the perfect leaders because they're able to be in the middle yeah and it's the guys who are extremists and good at Warfare, yeah. good at running a business that probably shouldn't be entertaining political ambition, and yet they do. Mm-hmm. And it's that false narrative, I think, that um, that people believe about themselves that, well, I'm good at one thing, so I must be good at everything. Mommy said I'm yeah. good at this. <laughs> Mommy said I'm a good boy, and I know how to do all this stuff, so I should run for president. And and then you get yourself into trouble, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, yeah, I guess I guess it's just Coriolanus's flaw is his inability to reflect yeah. on his own position, yeah. Yeah. and the rest of the people. I guess they see him for what he is. Yeah, because he can't hide it either. No, he's completely incapable of yeah. hiding it. Yeah. And we we might say we want that in a political leader, someone who's a straight yeah, well, talker, straight shooter. <laughs> that, that's the but that, that was the most engaging thing for me is that yeah. yes, we always say, well, I want someone to tell me what they really think, and then when they tell me, I don't like what they think, I don't mm-hmm. want them to be my leader. And yeah. I think those are both fair things because I want someone who can tell me what they really think, and then I want to be able to agree with them. I want both, yeah. and and as a voter, that's always you know that's that's our dream candidate, right? Yeah. But I mean, that's that's what. That's the dynamic that this is the first republic in recorded history. I'm sure there were many before this. But yes. this is the first big one that we have records about. And they didn't know what the fuck to do with yeah. that information, with the, with that that dynamic. Yeah. So. Have it be coward! And speaking of entertaining things, Lindsay, you just mentioned it. Like, it was probably like two minutes ago. But I heard that keyword and I thought, we're going to talk about theater next. Yes, and, yes. So, uh... It's a good question you have in our notes here. Like, how is Coriolanus, Coriolanus showing us that politics is like yeah. theater? And it's so accurate because especially that scene where he's going and talking to the people and saying, oh, you'll support me, right? When we get into that big theater place where you have to yeah. support someone. Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally going to do what I, that. like, do you, yeah. do you, do you want it? Do you want to see my scars? Like, I'm fine with it. Yeah. 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 Oh, you'd, okay, cool. Okay, yeah. we don't need to, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's just like, it's Telling a bes- people what they want to hear. Yeah. In a way. In a way, but it's, it's. 
he's aware and the audience is aware. Everybody in that situation is aware of how phony yeah. and fake and contrived and yes. for the purposes of entertainment, it really is. Like yes. it's, it's for the political theater. Literal um, political literal theater. Literal yes. political theater. Yes. So uh, that seems amazing to watch because yeah. you're just like, everybody's in on it. Like, and before that, before he shows up, the, the citizens are talking amongst themselves like, well, okay, I mean, he's going to ask and it's going to be really awkward, but I guess we'll do it. So mm. like everybody knows this is literally just for show, yeah. um, but they want to partake anyways, because that's yeah. what the political process is in a way. It is well, and that, kind of theater. That, again, we've been through a lot of elections in the last <laughs> little while. We had, uh, everybody was paying attention to the 2020 election yes. and then we had a federal election and we've had... Uh, civic election that just wrapped up a week ago here in Edmonton and across Alberta. Um, and we're not in on it. Yeah. <laughs> like people, people honestly line up behind their candidate of choice. And I don't think the, the majority of people who participate in the democratic process believe that this is theater. They actually think that the person is saying what they mean. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about the people who don't participate in the political process. It seems like they're the ones yeah. who see that this is all a sham. Yeah. That people are going to say whatever they want in order to get elected. And everybody's like, no, no, my guy is going to do what he said. You know, he said he was going to build the wall. So, <laughs> like, I believe him. And they stake their whole identity on believing, like, sincere belief in their political leaders. It's like, well, no, that's yeah, not that's how not- politics... Politics is theater it's just theater that governs our lives it's not theater for entertainment Mm -hmm. as much as we are entertained by politics (laughs) it's not meant for that this is this is who decides where our tax dollars go to right so i mean maybe we need to be a little bit wiser about that i think that's the lesson that that was what was really startling to me is seeing um a roman populace a roman political uh system interpreted through the lens of a 17th century dramatic yeah. uh yeah. you know imagining that is more political politically savvy than most people that I encounter or that anybody encounters even myself on a regular <laughs> basis today yeah. uh, that's just fascinating to me we think we're so advanced and really it's just yeah it's not that different it's than not, everything well, we've seen Right, yeah, that what Shakespeare is writing about about two thousand years before just, that. We don't you know? know that. We yeah. don't. We're not aware of it like they were. Well, I think, I think some of, I think a, a lot of people are. They must they, be. I mean, I don't think anybody really expects politicians to say nothing but the truth all the time. I think some people do. I really do. I do sometimes. Like that's what really bothers me is yeah, that like, I see myself I, represented. I, in I do that. hate it when like well, and we've all had politicians who are like they say that the one thing that you really care about. Only to learn that they're lying. Last later on. election under, under first, first past, past the, the post. post. Uh, <sighs> anyways, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we can both hate on Trudeau for the same. The same thing. thing. Well, and that's a gorgeous man. Love him as as a, as a sex symbol. Okay, that's great. Yeah, he not. can walk around shirtless. I wouldn't. Okay, but he didn't go for electoral reform, so I would not vote for him. Yeah, well, in I, the consul of the <laughs> Roman Republic in contest context when which we're speaking right and 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 that's the thing i think most people know that that's that yeah. that's how it is that politicians are going to lie to you they are going to say things that will get your vote and then they will do something different yeah and it it's just that um at the same time that doesn't that never stops us from yearning for uh the hope that we will get real representation and yeah. we will get someone who does stick to their guns on the important well, things that we think are important enough of the time they do pull through there, there's yeah, just yeah, enough there's to just keep no, you yeah. believing the well, lie. They never, right? they, nobody runs on one issue. Well, like, <laughs> some people do. Yeah, okay. but And then, <laughs> Yes, but no, successful politicians, yes. like very few. I mean, yes, I'm going to build the wall. Yes, okay. That I'm going to return to $120 a barrel oil. Yeah, okay, but. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, like it, when you are, there are, there are politicians who yeah. do make it work. Okay, but then yes. they fall apart. Well, they can't, yeah, because yeah, they can't actually do it. it. Yes. Well, because okay. they, they're they selling a lie. But in any yeah. case, like, the ones who are actually have real platforms, they have mm-hmm. platforms that, it's, that go across, you know, 40 topics. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to keep all your promises in all of those topics right. because external forces are going to come up. Well, or, and it's, it's not like you're just the only leader. Like, most governments, you have opposition parties and you have... 
Coalitions um, in a most bicameral places. or yeah, multicameral yeah. system yeah. where you've got to get multiple layers of government on board and in the American system you might have control of the House but not the Senate and so you've got problems. There's not it's not gonna be an easy ride to, you know, um, enact your your platform or, or change policies yeah. entirely. Yeah. Um, but from a Roman perspective, I, again, I don't know anything about the Roman Republic. I'm guessing that there wasn't, there was the patrician, patricians, and that was it. And it was just like the guy who leads is the leader. And there wasn't like opposition parties. They would just well, kill you if they didn't like well, you, right? Yeah, there was like, a lot of violence, but there's also like, there were, there was disagreements and they, they, like there were not parties, but there were, you know, factions within the okay. Senate that would disagree and stuff. It was a healthy political process as far yeah. as, you know, 6th century BC goes. Right. But it was, you know, uh, and so Coriolanus is entering into this fraud atmosphere. Yeah. And again, that's yeah. that's that's what the play is great at is saying, you guys don't know how to figure shit like this out. They didn't 2,000 years ago and yeah. they're not going to be 2,000 years in the future. Romans, they're just like yeah. us. Well, it's, right? it's legit. Like yeah. some things never change. Like the fact that when you put a certain number of people into a political arena, things are going to get messy and it doesn't yeah. really matter what the what the political setup is. People are going to be unhappy and fight over things. Yeah. And, and they're going to be lied to in the interest yeah. of saving face. Yeah. And I think that's the, the political theater part of it that is so... It, it's it's always it's always fun to see Shakespeare playing, you know, with this meta narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Of like you're watching a theatrical production about a theatrical production. Yeah, and I, I always like that, <laughs> I those, and yeah. and I I I like I, I like that image of Shakespeare being politically savvy enough to recognize political theater yeah. as political theater. And putting this on and, and like winking and nudging to Ben Johnson, you know, just like, hey, you see what I did there? Like, I like that image. I think yeah. that's kind of cool. But um, but yeah, it's just, it was an interesting point to bring up just because it's something that I think we've lost sight of a little bit in our modern political context. If I longer stay, we shall begin our ancient bickerings. So for today's ancient bickerings, um, a little less ancient, a little more modern bickerings, mm-hmm. I guess, because we've spent so much of this play episode talking about modern politics we thought we'd bring it up to modern uh, modern context and ask the question would Coriolanus the Coriolanus from the play not the actual historical or maybe the historical Coriolanus I don't know would he be a political success story in a modern let's say in a modern American political arena and Lindsay, of course, the very correct answer is yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, there is no human being alive that I can think of who hates everyday people more than Donald Trump. <laughs> and he is going to be president again in 2024, probably. Oh, Aiden. <laughs> and it is a terrifying thought. But it, it is... the, the th- He doesn't even try and hide it. Really, he doesn't. Because Trump or Coriolanus? Uh, Trump, and that's Both. that's why Coriolanus would be successful <laughs> okay. because he also doesn't do a very good job hiding it. Uh, all that would be required is that he would be um, focused on hating the Volskai wherever they may be, whether it's Mexicans or <laughs> yeah, or exactly. He will just find the Volsky of the era. Say, I have fought them so hard my entire life, and I'm not going to stop. Until there is a clan rally in every bigly <laughs> successful, yeah, and and, and the Republican base would flock towards him. So I, I feel like the the bar has been set so low that the answer to could anybody be president? <laughs> yes, is yes, as long as they and and he would trade in Trump's like oh gee you know I I'm a simple guy use simple words and talk about this stuff with. He, you know, uh, Coriolanus's like gravelly deep, like I've seen shit and I have fucked. He, he would be a, he would, and he's good enough and smart enough. He would have actually stolen the next election and <laughs> he would have, he would have installed himself as dictator and killed tens of thousands of Americans in order to pull it off because the dude probably using the postal service. <laughs> Why would you exploding, say that? Exploding, exploding mailboxes when they try to vote. We're just <laughs> mailmen, just you know the the postal. I don't know. I'm just trying to link it to the 2020 election fraud. Okay, that's good. I like it. Um, but yeah, like I, you know, and I think he he reminds me of like a, a Gaddafi, or um, even like a Hussein. Hussein. Yeah, yeah, like these guys who were just like 
I'm a general first. Putin. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah. I mean, he's got the KGB. Yeah, he'd actually be great as Putin. But like, 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 yeah, those type of hardcore right wing nationalist leaders who are just like, I am going to create, and that's glossing over Hussein and Gaddafi at different yeah. circumstances and everything. But like, uh, yeah, that that kind of like strong man leadership, I think he would do. Corey Lanis would project that far better than Trump ever did, and I think he's evil enough and hates the common people enough to ensure that they never get like the gerrymandering would be off the charts if if Coriolanus was was uh nominated in the Republican primary. Okay. Let me just put All it right. that way. Lindsay, did you agree? I or? disagree and and I have two reasons okay. for that. Okay. Um I, I will concede that I think the American people do like their daddy figures to be strong <laughs> At least to project that image mm-hmm. of being strong. I don't think Trump is a strong person, but no. but uh, so they might be won over by his military prowess. But I think there are two strikes against Coriolanus that would lead to him being pilloried um, in the twenty twenty four general election. Yes. And those two things are: he is elite. I think he would be mm-hmm. a, 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 a like Trump. a. Yeah, but I think the fact that that he is such a uh, Coriolanus is is the kind of elite that Americans. I don't think he he would endear himself enough to those rural West Virginia coal mining families the yeah. way that Trump could, yeah. because he's too enough, yeah. full of himself and and Fifth Avenue yeah, patrician. Yeah, okay, yeah. And the second thing I think that's a strike against him is is he's got some serious mommy issues, and the misogyny in America is so strong oh, that's a very that point. I can't see anybody who fancies themselves a strong independent voter who's making a decision on their own Caring casting their a vote. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that but casting a vote for someone who is so clearly under the sway of a woman. Yeah. It, they would consider it like a puppet government thing where a woman is actually running the country. That's why we didn't vote for Hillary, you know, and that would be the that That's would fair. be the general yep. or I think his his opponents would trot out, you know, scare tactics and, and attack ads that that went after Volumnia. Uh, they would go after his wife and just as these these women who are ruling from the background shadowy figures um, that coupled with his holier than thou attitude and and his inability to connect with the people in any meaningful way I think would lead to anybody else being that, those are those are very good points that's that's a good point I had not considered the mommy issue mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah. No, that's I think fair. He, I think he would give the 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 presidency. A, a, he would make a good showing. I think he would he would earn a solid hundred and fifty, hundred and eighty votes in the electoral college. But I don't think it would push him to the yeah the win the two seventy that you need to win. Well, it depends on whose opponent it is. If it's a woman, he might have a chance. If it's a woman, he might have a chance. If it was a woman of color. Mm, he's winning <laughs> possibly well yes given the the misogynistic undertones you're yeah, right and yeah. the racist undertones well, exactly, that too yeah. there's also that he's he's a roman he's okay, an yeah, italian well, okay <laughs> they don't like italians down there do they italian, i don't know <laughs> i'm saying if you transplant him he'd be a homebred american new york kind of tough talking dude who yeah but he off. lives in that one big building yeah. that nobody lives in in uh in new york the one that the burj khalifa of new york yeah, yeah. the really ugly one i don't know it just looks like a lego building like just the bricks oh yeah 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 it's really weird yeah. looking yeah. Anyways, yeah you're probably right uh i'll give this one to you Lindsay. really yeah i don't think he wins uh-huh. yeah i don't think he beats joe uncle joe I don't think he beats Trump. I mean, I think Trump has yeah. a better chance of winning. And that scares the hell out of me. Yeah. Me too. So now I'm depressed. Yeah. What are we talking about uh, next time on the podcast, Aiden? I don't know. I do know. It's Shakespeare and religion, uh, which I think we'd... Thank the gods, because I need a little <laughs> religion in my life right now. Uh... Raise the spirits. A little hallelujah. Yeah. Fair enough. Need something to look forward to. Yeah, something to get you through. Uh, Shakespeare and religion. Are we gonna Are we gonna be talking about Shakespeare's religion, 
the secret Catholic in him? Or yes. are we going to be talking? Okay. And but also how he represents yes. tradition, religion, religion in yeah. his yeah. place. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It'll be All a right. Bit, mix of both. Okay. Um, and then after that, we have the winter sale, which I'm very much looking forward to. It's, and it's a fun we'll, play. That, that'll be, you know, we'll have snow on the ground by then. It'll be a nice uh yeah, that's true. That's true. It will be. It's almost like we planned this. We did not. We, we just not put the plays in the calendar and we said two weeks later we're going to do this. this and it thing. just happened to match up. Yeah. We're going um, well. I, yeah. So uh, until Shakespeare and religion, yeah. uh, thank you for joining us for the butt play. For the butt. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. Me too. Uh, this is what I'm going to call it for the rest of my the butt life. play. Now. Yeah, yeah, if I ever teach a Shakespeare course to, I don't know, toddlers, I think they're like, the only ones who would listen to me. Guys, you want to listen, listen to the butt play? The butt play. Like, oh my God. Yeah, they yeah. would love that. You, so, you would win them over. Yeah. You know children so well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. butt talk, I guess. That's okay. I'm going to stop talking. There's <laughs> you, you would need to inject more farts into this. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. yeah. If it's a butt play, it's got to have farts. Lots of farts, yeah. The scatological humor, it's, it's a low bar for toddlers, but... Well, because they can't climb over anything taller. But then, boom. <laughs> you can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at the Bixpod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Bixpod, or by email at thebixpod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.